first happy 23rd Sunday after Trinity. Uh, not too much report this week, other than we have the triumphant return of Wednesday supper and Bible study, uh, 6 p.m. at the Parsonage. I'm sure it'll be a lovely time for all as we continue to uh, work through St. John's Gospel. We're currently in chapter 3, so a good time to, to jump in. Other than that, not too much to report. Have us long in just a moment. Please join me again for 174.
on page 4 of the Book of Common Prayer.
We'll say the song that you My heart showeth me the wickedness of the ungodly, that there is no fear of God before his eyes. For he flattereth himself in his own sight, until his abominable sin be found out. The words of his mouth are unrighteous and full of deceit. He hath left off to behave himself wisely and to do good. He imagineth mischief upon his bed, and hath set himself in no good way. Neither doth he abhor anything that is evil. Thy mercy, O Lord, reacheth unto the heavens, and thy faithfulness unto the clouds. Thy righteousness standeth like the strong mountains. Thy judgments are like the great deep. Thou, Lord, shalt save both man and beast. How excellent is thy mercy, O God. And the children of men shall put their trust under the shadow of thy wings. They shall be satisfied with the plenteousness of thy house. And thou shalt give them drink of thy pleasures as out of the river. For with thee is the well of life, and in thy light shall be seen light. O oh, continue forth thy loving kindness unto them that know thee, and thy righteousness unto them that are true of heart. O oh, let not the foot of pride come against thee, and let not the hand of the ungodly cast thee down. There are they fallen all that work wickedness. They are cast down and shall not be able to stand. Glory be to the Father, and to the Son, and to the Holy Spirit, as it was in the beginning, it is now, and ever shall be, world without end. Amen. Here we have the eleventh chapter of the book of Proverbs. A false balance is abomination to the Lord, but a just weight is his delight. When pride cometh, then cometh shame, but with the lowly is wisdom. The integrity of the upright shall guide them, but the perverseness of transgressors shall destroy them. Riches profit not in the day of wrath, but righteousness delivereth from death. The righteousness of the perfect shall direct his way, but the wicked shall fall by his own wickedness. The righteousness of the upright shall deliver them, but transgressors shall be taken in their own guardians. When a wicked man dieth, his expectation shall perish, and the hope of unjust men perisheth. The righteous is delivered out of trouble, and the wicked cometh in his stead. And a hypocrite with his mouth destroyeth his neighbor, but through knowledge shall the just be delivered. When it goeth well with the righteous, the city rejoiceth, and when the wicked perish, there is shall. By the blessing of the upright, the city is exalted, but it is overthrown by the mouth of the wicked. He that is void of wisdom despiseth his neighbor, but the man of understanding holdeth his peace. A tale-bearer revealeth secrets, but he that is of a faithful spirit concealeth the matter. Where no counsel is, the people fall, but in the multitude of counselors there is safety. He that is surety for a stranger shall smart for it, and he that hateth surrition is sure. A gracious woman retaineth honor, and strong man retaineth riches. The merciful man doeth good to his own soul, but he that is cruel troubleth his own flesh. The wicked worketh a deceitful work, but to him that soweth righteousness shall be a sure reward. 
pursueth evil, pursueth it to his own death. They that are of the forward part are abomination to the Lord. But such as are upright in their way are his delight. Though hand joined in hand, the wicked shall not be unpunished, but the seed of the righteous shall be delivered. As a jewel of gold in a swine's snout, so is a fair woman which is without discretion. The desire of the righteous is only good, but the expectation of the wicked is wrath. There is that scattereth and yet increaseth, and there is that withholdeth more than is meat, but intended for poverty. The liberal soul shall be made fat, and he that watereth shall be watered also himself. He that withholdeth corn, the people shall curse him, but blessed shall be upon the head of him that selleth it. He that diligently seeketh good procureth favor, but he that seeketh mischief, it shall come unto him. He that trusteth in his riches shall fall, but the righteous shall flourish as a branch. He that troubleth his own house shall inherit the wind, and the fool shall be servant to the wise of heart. The fruit of the righteous is a tree of life, and he that winneth souls is wise. Behold, the righteous shall be recompensed in the earth, but more the wicked and sinner. The first lesson. The dead on page six.
We are beginning the 23rd chapter of the Gospel according to St. Luke. And the whole multitude of them arose and led him unto Pilate. And they began to accuse him, saying, We found this fellow perverting the nation, and forbidding to give tribute to Caesar, saying that he himself is Christ the King. And Pilate asked him, saying, Art thou the King of the Jews? And he answered him and said, Thou sayest it. Then said Pilate to the chief priests and to the people, I find no fault in this man. And they were the more fierce, saying, He stirreth up the people, teaching throughout all Judah, beginning from Galilee to this place. When Pilate heard of Galilee, he asked whether the man were a Galilean. And as soon as he knew that he belonged to Herod's jurisdiction, he sent him to Herod, who himself also was at Jerusalem at that time. And when Herod saw Jesus, he was exceeding glad, for he was desirous to see him of a long season, because he had heard many things of him, and he hoped to have seen some miracle done by him. Then he questioned him in many words, but he answered him nothing. And the chief priests and scribes stood and beardedly accused him. And Herod with his men of war sat in at naught, and mocked him, and arrayed him in a gorgeous robe, and sent him again to Pilate. And the same day, Pilate and Herod were made friends together, for before they were at enmity between themselves. And Pilate, when he had called together the chief priests and the rulers and the people, said unto them, Ye have brought this man unto me, as one that perverted the people. And behold, I, having examined him before him, have found no fault in this man touching those things whereof he accused him. No, nor yet Herod, for I sent you to him. And though nothing worthy of death is done unto him, I will therefore chastise him and release him. For of necessity he must release one unto them at the feast. And they cried all at once, saying, Away with this man, and release unto us Barabbas, who for a certain sedition made in the city, and for murder, was cast into prison. Pilate therefore, willing to release Jesus, spake again to them. But they cried, saying, Crucify him, crucify him. And he said unto them the third time, Why, what evil hath he done? I have found no cause of death in him. I will therefore chastise him and let him go. And they were instinct with loud voices, requiring that he might be crucified. And the voices of them and of the chief priests prevailed. And Pilate gave sentence that it should be as they required. And he released unto them him that for sedition and murder was cast into prison, whom they had desired. But he delivered Jesus to their will. And as they led him away, they laid hold upon one Simon, a Cyrenian, coming out of the country, and on him they laid the cross, that he might bear it after Jesus. And there followed him a great company of people, and of women which also bewailed and lamented him. But Jesus, turning unto them, said, Daughters of Jerusalem, weep not for me, but weep for yourselves and for your children. For behold, the days are coming in the which they shall say, Blessed are the barren, and the wombs that never bear, and the paps which never gave suck. Then shall they begin to say to the mountains, Fall on us, and to the hills, cover us. For if they do these things in a green tree, what shall be done in the dry? And there were also two other malefactors, led with him to be put to death. And when they were come to the place which is called Calvary, there they crucified him, and the malefactors, one on the right hand, and the other on the left. Then said Jesus, Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. 
and they parted his raiment and cast lots. And the people stood beholding, and the rulers also with them derided him, saying, He saved others, let him save himself, if he be Christ the chosen of God. And the soldiers also mocked him, coming to him and offering him vinegar, and saying, If thou be the king of the Jews, save thyself. And a superscription also was written over him, in letters of Greek and Latin and Hebrew. This is the king of the Jews. And one of the malefactors which were hanged railed on him, saying, If thou be Christ, save thyself and us. But the other answering rebuked him, saying, Dost not thou fear God, seeing thou art in the same condemnation? And we can be justly, for we receive the due reward of our deeds. But this man hath done nothing amiss. And he said unto Jesus, Lord, remember me when thou comest into thy kingdom. And Jesus said unto him, Verily I say unto thee, Today shalt thou be with me in paradise. And it was about the sixth hour, and there was a darkness over all the earth unto the ninth hour. And the sun was darkened, and the veil of the temple was rent in the midst. And when Jesus had cried with a loud voice, he said, Father, into thy hands I commend my spirit. And having said thus, he gave up the ghost. Now when the centurion saw that it was done, he glorified God, saying, Certainly this was a righteous man. And all the people that came together to that sight, beholding the things which were done, smote their breasts and returned. And all his acquaintance, and the women that followed him from Galilee, stood afar off, beholding these things. And behold, there was a man named Joseph, a counselor, and he was a good man and a just. The same, and that consented to the council and deed of it. He was Marimathea, a city of the Jews, who also himself waited for the kingdom of God. This man went to the pilot and begged the body of Jesus. And he took it down and wrapped it in linen and laid it in a sepulchre that was hewn in stone, wherein never man before was laid. And that day was the preparation, and the Sabbath drew on. And the women also which came with him from Galilee followed after, and beheld the sepulchre, and how his body was laid. And they returned, and prepared spices and ointment, and rested the Sabbath day according to the commandment.
suffered under Pontius Pilate, was crucified, dead, and buried. He descended to hell. The third day he rose again from the dead. He ascended into heaven, and sitteth on the right hand of God the Father Almighty. From thence he shall come to judge the quick and the dead. I believe in the Holy Ghost, the Holy Catholic Church, the communion of saints, the forgiveness of sins, the resurrection of the body, the life of the last. Amen. The Lord be with you. Thy will be done 
magnify thy holy name through Christ our Lord. Amen. God spake these words and said, I am the Lord thy God, thou shalt have none other gods but me. Thou shalt not make to thyself any graven image, but the likeness of anything that is in heaven above, or in the earth beneath, or in the water under the earth. Thou shalt not bow down to them, nor worship them. For I, the Lord thy God, am a jealous God, and visit the sins of the fathers upon the children under the third and fourth generation of them that hate me, and show mercy unto thousands of them that love me and keep my commandments. Thou shalt not take the name of the Lord thy God in vain. For the Lord will not hold him guiltless that taketh his name in vain. Lord, have mercy upon us, and incline our hearts to keep this law. Remember that thou keep holy the Sabbath day. Six days shalt thou labor, and do all that thou hast to do. But the seventh day is the Sabbath of the Lord thy God. In it thou shalt do no manner of work, thou and thy son and thy daughter, thy manservant and thy maidservant, thy cattle and the stranger that is within thy gates. For in six days the Lord made heaven and earth, the sea and all that in them is, and rested the seventh day. Wherefore the Lord blessed the seventh day and hallowed it. Lord, have mercy upon us, and incline our hearts to keep this law. Honor thy father and thy mother, that thy name may be long in the land which the Lord thy God giveth thee. Thou shalt do no work. Lord, have mercy upon us, and incline our hearts to keep this law. Thou shalt not commit adultery. Lord, have mercy upon us, and incline our hearts to keep this law. Thou shalt not steal. Lord, have mercy upon us, and incline our hearts to keep this law. Thou shalt not bear false witness against thy neighbor. Thou shalt not covet thy neighbor's house. Thou shalt not covet thy neighbor's wife, nor his servant, nor his babe, nor his ox, nor his ass, nor anything that is his. Lord, Lord have mercy upon us, and write all these thy laws in our hearts we beseech thee. Let us pray. Hold our governor, whose glory is in all the world. We command this nation of thy merciful care, that being guided by thy
The epistle is written in the third chapter of Philippians, beginning at the 17th verse. Brethren, be followers together of me, and mark them which walk so as ye have us for an example. For many walk of whom I have told you often, and now tell you even weeping, that they are the enemies of the cross of Christ, whose end is destruction, whose God is their belly, and whose glory is in their shame, who mind earthly things. For our conversation is in heaven, from whence also we look for the Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ, who shall change our vile body, that it may be fashioned like unto his glorious body, according to the working whereby he is able even to subdue all things unto himself. Tell us, therefore, what thinkest thou? 
Is it lawful to give tribute unto Caesar or not? But Jesus perceived their wickedness and said, Why tempt ye ye hypocrites? Show me the tribute money. And they brought unto him a penny. And he said unto them, Whose is this image and superscription? They say unto him, Caesar's. Then said he unto them, Render therefore unto Caesar the things which are Caesar's, and unto God the things that are God's. When they had heard these words, they marveled and left them, and went their way. Friday's day of fasting or material abstinence as one of other prayer. 
and from it we await a Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ, who will transform our lowly body to be like his glorious body, by the power that enables him even to subject all things to himself. Philippians chapter 2, 3, verse 20. What does it mean to await a Savior? Await a Savior. I thought about this question a lot this past week after sitting and praying with an older woman dying of cancer. It's the sort of thing that happens a lot to someone who wears a collar in most places. Her tired, broken body is slowly shutting down this poor woman. And it's only a matter of time until she takes her last breath. Although I suppose the same can be said of all of I'm not sure how many of us have ever felt the special powerlessness one feels in the presence of a dying person. The inescapable knowledge that nothing I can do can change what is about to happen. The realization that none of my accomplishments or power or emotions are enough to make this beautiful child of God, or even those whom I love the most in all the world, nothing I can do can make them more alive. Just a casual look at this dying woman would show us she needs to be saved from the human condition itself. And as much as I'd like to do it, I just can't. The Psalms, the divine prayer of Jesus and his church, give some beautiful examples of this utter powerlessness. We read, My heart is in anguish within me, the terrors of death have fallen upon me. Fear and trembling come upon me, and horror overwhelms me. And I say, oh, that I have wings like a dove. I would fly away and be abreast, and I would wander far away. I would lie to the wilderness. I would hurry to find a shelter from the raging wind and tempest. Psalm 55, both away. Faced with the inevitability of death, our natural instinct is to run and hide. The poet Dylan Thomas, however, exhorted us in this way. He wrote, Do not go gentle into that good night. Old age should burn and rage at close of day. Rage, rage against the dying of the light. But, of course, Thomas died in a coma at age 39, brought on by drinking himself to death. We see in the end, even our anger and our will are stripped from us in the shocking humiliation of our climate. All men will be humbled. It is only a matter of why and when. The Apostle Paul, who describes himself as the slave of Jesus Christ, speaks to us today from within the invincible hope of a human soul humbled by reality. When the primary inspired author of the New Testament tells the Philippian church to imitate him, he is not boasting about his own power or excellence. How could he? The man knows his past. He knows that the risen Savior had to besiege him on the road to Damascus and burn down the walls of sin and false religion, which made him feel secure while arresting Christians and assisting in their bloody executions. 
and strength were always an illusion. An illusion whose secrets are revealed by events as lowly as a common cold. But the lie of control is so much more appealing than the reality of distress. And it is so very easy for Christians to imitate the examples of those who really believe in their own pride temporary strength. That is why St. Paul tells the congregation to look at him and his fellow workers, men like Timothy and Epaphroditus, to see the kind of reality-based life the lost and found must follow. The driving assumption of St. Paul's warning is that exposure to the fallen world's lives will have a negative effect upon believers recovering from the slavery of those lives inevitably break. This constant proximity to evil necessitates the daily cleansing of ourselves in the word of God and the receiving of his sacraments as regularly as we possibly can. But in our text today, we see the importance of human interaction among people the Holy Spirit is building. The community of faith must be exactly that, a community of thriving, otherworldly citizens, living together and preparing for our future in the new heaven and the new earth. We need our brothers and sisters in faith to love us and defend us when the world turns its back, or more insidiously, when the world tries to seduce us into believing its anesthetizing fiction soul-deadly fables. Untruths proclaimed so loudly that we feel their vibrations in our hearts and can begin to believe that they come from within us. But there are new consequences when we fail to seek our Christian brothers and sisters to help us in a fallen world. And there are real consequences for those who could be those Christian leaders failing their duty and leading people astray, either through sloth or after disobedience. St. Paul wholly trusts in the goodness of his Savior, but he wouldn't know what goodness is if his Savior hadn't shown him. But he still weeps for all those outside the community of faith. He writes, pointing, their end is destruction, their God is their belly, and they glory in their shame with minds set on earthly things. Their God is their belly. St. Paul calls them enemies of the cross of Christ. Which makes perfect sense given the crucifixion we just read of in St. Luke's Gospel. Enemies of that cross, enemies of that kind of self sacrificial love. And Paul, of course, is describing the default position of a fallen humanity. Paul's description of the enemies of God fits two very different types of people, or better to say, people who think they are very different from each other, but sort of like that horseshoe analogy, right? The two ends are closer to one another, very much here too. The first religious type would be those who try to radically separate the body from the soul or mind. These people, then and now, see little importance in the activities of the body and rest their entire hope for salvation in the special knowledge they possess. 
You can hear this read from a first century Roman talking about his boutique philosophy or mystical religion, or from a 21st century American talking about books by perfectly competent scientists moonlighting as terrible theologians, or books describing mystical experiences endorsed by hipster pastors, and all the rest of those half-baked religious videos peppered about you. All of these products convince people that holiness is another word for fulfillment. And you too can get fulfillment if you pay $29.99 if it is happy at me. These God-denying creeds are ultimately unsatisfying. So people fill the God-shaped hole in their life with consumption, food, drugs, sex, possessions. All right. Their God is their belly. They glory in their shame with minds set on earthly things. Or as Mount Muggeridge put it, sex in the mysticism of a materialist society, with its own mysteries and its own sacred texts and scripture. The erotic that fall like black atomic rain on the just and the unjust alike, drenching us, blinding us, stupefying us, to be carnally minded. What's incredible is that Muggeridge wrote that before the U.S. pornography industry became bigger than Hollywood and all our professional sporting leagues. In our enlightened age, we've traded the enslaved temple prostitutes of Paul's day for the enslaved trafficked women imprisoned on countless screens. And this horror is really one example of the way in which evil takes advantage of our human weakness and exploits The way evil can twist even our greatest technological feats so they harm more than they help. Second, the second group declare themselves enemies of the cross are those who believe their own religious merits will save them. There can be some overlap in the first group, but this religious caste includes everyone from the sincere person who believes just one more senator from their political party will bring heaven on earth, to the self-righteous pseudo-Christian who looks down on any person they judge less holy than themselves. In this system, God is at best a means to an end or a mascot to be invoked or a talisman to clutch in times of peril. In this fantasy, we are saving the world and ourselves, and God is really helpful. This cruel belief system breeds disappointment as time after time after time our false gods fail us, especially when that false god is us. The problem at the heart of all these belief systems is that they are dependent on man somehow transcending his grievous and in the offer, no proven way for this to occur. We are asked to take it on blind faith that mankind will get it right this time. That shouldn't be enough. It's amazing how often it is. It's amazing how often people will kill for that or kill themselves for it. Blessed. None of these broken ways of life is how reality actually works. God is not a concept or a program or a method of fulfillment. 
He has not given us some new method of self-improvement. No. Instead, God has definitively answered the great human question. Who will save man from himself? Who will save man from himself? The beautiful answer to this question comes in the advent of Jesus Christ. It is here that a human first transcends his own sinful temptations to live a life of love and justice. It is here that a human first transcends the lies of this world to live in truth. It is here that a human first transcends the terrors of death to save the new race of mankind and rise as its glorious first citizen. This king of the new creation, whose public resurrection vindicates him for all time, is the only real concrete hope for a transcendent humanity. And that is why we await his return. We await because we acknowledge two key realities. One, we need a Savior. Two, Jesus Christ has established himself as the conqueror of death, the master of power, and as the master of time itself. We can trust that Jesus Christ will transform our bodies of humiliation into bodies of glory. Because if we are his people, then he suffered and died and rose again to make us members of humanity to point Citizens of a new world saved from us and for us forever. We began today by hearing the opening of Psalm 55 that is planning cries for deliverance from evil. Staring death in the face, the psalmist continues, As for me, I will call upon God, and the Lord shall save me. It is he that hath delivered my soul in peace from the battle that was against me. If our citizenship is in heaven, and we await the triumphant return of our perfect king, that we can expect to be assaulted by the powers of this world, but we need not ever fear them. As citizens of heaven, destined to live in the new earth Christ's resurrection guarantees, we are connected to more power than we can ever imagine. We are connected to a destiny not dreamed up in science fiction of the, the fever dreams of the powerful, but rather built into the fabric of the universe by the loving God who will return to make all things right. Today, St. Paul tells us to stand firm, not in our own strength or our beauty or our intelligence. He tells us to stand firm in the Lord. In that perfect man stands the future of our strength, our beauty, and our intelligence. And we carry that joy emanating from our future glory like a passport for our true homeland. And when we do die, when we are deserted by our body's strength and beauty and intelligence, we can know that we will be strong enough to take, because our strength lies in our Savior, and our eternity rests in His unending glory. May the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Ghost, Amen.
Please join me in hymn 590.
glad to receive these offerings which we offer unto thy divine majesty. This teaching they to inspire continually the universal church with the spirit of truth, unity, and concord. And grant that all those who do confess thy holy name may agree in the truth of thy holy word and live in unity and godly love. We beseech thee also to direct and dispose the hearts of all Christian rulers, that they may truly and impartially administer justice to the punishment of wickedness and vice, and to the maintenance of thy true religion and virtue. Give grace, O Heavenly Father, to all bishops and pastors, that they may both by their life and doctrine set forth thy truth and lively word, and rightly and duly administer thy holy sacraments. And of all thy people, give thy heavenly grace, and especially to this congregation here present, that with be taught in due reverence, they may hear and receive thy holy word. Truly serving thee in holiness and righteousness all the days of their life. And we most humbly beseech thee of thy goodness, O Lord, to comfort and succor all those who in this transitory life are in trouble, sorrow, need, sickness, or any other adversity, especially those we name in our hearts. And we also bless thy holy for all thy servants to part in this life of thy faith and fear, beseeching thee to give us grace so to follow their good examples, that with them we may be partakers of thy heavenly kingdom. Grant this, O Father, for Jesus Christ's sake, our only mediator and advocate. Amen. The exhortation on page 255. Dearly beloved in the Lord, he that mind to come to the holy communion of the body and blood of our Savior Christ must consider how St. Paul exhorted all persons diligently to prove and examine themselves before they presume to eat of that bread and drink of that cup. For as the benefit is great, if with a true penitent heart and lively faith we receive that holy sacrament, for then we spiritually eat the flesh of Christ and drink his blood, that we dwell in Christ and Christ in us. We are one with Christ and Christ with us. So is the danger great that we receive the same unworthily. For then we are guilty of the body and blood of Christ our Savior. We eat and drink our own condemnation, not considering the Lord's body. We kindle God's wrath against us. We provoke him to plague us with diverse diseases and sundry kinds of death. Judge therefore yourselves, brethren, that ye be not judged by the Lord. Repent ye truly for your sins past. Have a lively and steadfast faith in Christ our Savior. Amend your lives, and be in perfect charity with all men. So shall ye be meet partakers of those holy mysteries. And above all things, ye must give most humble and hearty thanks to God, the Father, the Son, and the Holy Ghost, for the redemption of the world by the death and passion of our Savior Christ, both God and man, who did humble himself, even to the death upon the cross for us miserable sinners, who lay in darkness and the shadow of death, that he might make us the children of God and exalt us to everlasting life. And in the end that we should always remember the exceeding great love of our Master and only Savior Jesus Christ, thus dying for us, and the innumerable benefits which by his precious blood shedding he hath obtained for us. He hath instituted and ordained holy mysteries as pledges of his love, 
continual remembrance of his death through our great and endless comfort. To him, therefore, with the Father and the Holy Ghost, let us give, as we are most bound in continual thanks, submitting ourselves wholly to his holy will and pleasure, and studying to serve him in true holiness and righteousness all the days of our life. Ye who do truly and earnestly repent of your sins, and all love and charity with your neighbors, and intend to live a new life, following the commandments of God, and walking from henceforth in his holy ways, draw near with faith, and take this holy sacrament to your comfort, and make your humble confession to Almighty God, be pleading upon your knees. Almighty God, Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, Maker of all things, judge of all men. We acknowledge as the will of our manifold sins and wickedness, which we from time to time most grievously have committed, by God's word and deed, against thy divine majesty, provoking most justly thy wrath and indignation against us. We do earnestly repent, and are heartily sorry for these our misdoings. The remembrance of that is grievous unto us, the burden that is hollow. Have mercy upon us, have mercy upon us, most merciful Father, for thy Son, our Lord Jesus Christ's sake. Forgive us all that is past, and grant that we may ever hereafter serve and please thee in newness of life to the honor and glory of our name, through Jesus Christ our Lord. Almighty God, our Heavenly Father, who of His greatness hath promised forgiveness of sins to all those who with hearty repentance and true faith turn unto Him, have mercy upon you, pardon, and deliver you from all your sins, confirm and strengthen you with all goodness, and bring you to everlasting life through Jesus Christ our Lord. Amen. Hear but comfortable words our Savior Christ hath, and of all who truly turn to Him. Come unto me, all you that travail and are heavy laden, and I will refresh you. So God loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son, to the end that all that believe in him should not perish, but have everlasting life. Here also it St. Paul said, This is a true saying, and worthy of all men to be received, that Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners. Here also it St. John said, If any man sin, we have an advocate of the Father, Jesus Christ the righteous, and he is the propitiation for our sins. Lift up your hearts. We lift them up unto the Lord. Let us give thanks unto our Lord God. It is very deep right in all bound and duty that we should at all times and in all places give thanks unto thee, O Lord, Holy Father, Almighty, everlasting God. Therefore, with angels and archangels, and with all the company of heaven, we laud and magnify thy glorious name, evermore praising thee and saying,
up the crumbs under thy table. But thou art the same, Lord, whose property is always to thy mercy. Grant us, then, O gracious Lord, so to eat the flesh of thy dear Son, Jesus Christ, and to drink his blood, that our sinful bodies may be made by his body, and our souls washed through his most precious blood, and that we may evermore dwell in him, and he in us. Almighty God, our Heavenly Father, who of thy tender mercy didst give thine only Son, Jesus Christ, to suffer death upon the cross for our redemption, who made by his one oblation of himself once offered a whole, perfect, and sufficient sacrifice, oblation, and satisfaction for the sins of the whole world, and it institute that in his holy gospel command us to continue a perpetual memory of that his precious death until his coming again. Hear us, O merciful Father, we most humbly beseech you, and grant that we, receiving these thy creatures of bread and wine, according to thy Son, our Savior, Jesus Christ's holy institution, in remembrance of his death and passion, may be partakers of his most blessed body and blood, through the same night that he was betrayed, took bread, but he had given thanks, he prayed, and gave it to his disciples, saying, Take, eat, this is my body which is given for you. Do this in remembrance of me. Likewise, after supper, he took the cup, and when he had given thanks, he gave it to them, saying, Drink ye all of this. For this is my blood of the New Testament, which is shed for you and for many for the remission of sins. Do this as often as you shall drink in remembrance of me. Amen.
Son of the Holy Ghost, be amongst you and remain always.
Me too. Mom, one second. Be right back, okay? Right,